Hey, you guys, this is Rob Liefeld. This is Observations. I am your host. Rob is your host. Observations is your podcast. We are rocking and rolling. We talk so much comic books, so much movies, TV, pop culture, the way they've all mashed together. And it all comes from my perspective as little Robbie Liefeld pulling those comics off the spinner rack, 1974, 1975, a lifelong uh, devotion to being a nerd. Okay, let's just be honest. I mean, um, just absolutely going, I I like comic books, comic stories, sci-fi, fantasy. Um, How many of you guys have a friend like I do? I have a friend who, uh, ironically, and I I love this guy. And and, and big shout out to you, my buddy Chuck. Uh, Two Super Bowl parties ago. Cause he always throws the best Super Bowl parties in our in our neighborhood with our with our friends, and uh, he is in fact I I I I wish this didn't involve Deadpool, but it's only briefly. He wanted to show me that he had bought some new highfalutin DVD of Deadpool, but he prefaced it by saying, "You know, Rob, I don't like this stuff. You know, I I've never even seen Star Wars. I'm not into that stuff." And he is a giant lantern jawed. Uh, genetically engineered athlete person. Uh, uh, he played played football in the Pac-10, Pac-12. Uh, big, meaty guy, very tall, imposing figure, but he wanted to tell me, and he's like, it's the humor and the R rating. That's why I love this Deadpool movie. But, you know, I, I normally don't go for any of this stuff. I don't, know, I don't, I don't go for sci-fi, for comic books. And that's what I'm honing in on. This, he's like... I'm not into any of this. Hasn't even seen Star Wars. Whoa. Like for me, wow. And and given that today, we're doing a whole lot of Star Wars. You know, you just recognize at an early age, like I'm into the geek stuff. I'm going to be unapologetic about it. That's kind of a lie. As a kid, I'm going to kind of hide it from people who I know would mock me for it. And I'm going to get really good at concealing it. And now, hello, we live in the world of hot topic uh, comic books. You know, I, I mean, literally all hot topic isn't doing yet is is selling you comics from a Hot Topic spinner rack because they've gone mainstream every department store. You you walk through Target now to, to get to the electronics section. I have to cross over a sea of Marvel and DC uh, licensed t-shirts, sweatshirts, hoodies, all of it. And it's exciting. And and it, it's fun, especially when you go, oh, that, that's one of my images or that's one of my favorite images from my youth. That's an X-Men cover that John Byrne did that I, you know, all these great images from my youth. But Star Wars is interesting. You'd think I'd do more on it. And today we're going to rectify some of that. We're going to, we're going to do a lot of Star Wars because um, I'm, I'm obsessed with Star Wars, but not necessarily today's Star Wars. I'm obsessed with 1977 Star Wars, 1980 Empire, Empire Strikes Back. And from there, it's, it's really about all the offshoots for me. Did I, did I see Return of the Jedi? We'll get to that at some other point. I've done a couple of podcasts on Star Wars, but really this isn't about the birth of the phenomenon of Star Wars. We've covered that. There's a podcast for that about how 1977, it blew up. It came out of nowhere. That's all been well chronicled, well told. Probably, actually, not as as much as I would like for it to be across the culture because I think Star Wars 1977 is not seen through the lens that it it it, it needs to be seen anymore. But some of some of that you can't talk of Star Wars without scratching on it, and I definitely will do more than scratch on it today. But the birth of the movie, the sensation that was the original film, how it changed everything—special effects, cinema blockbuster movie making, um, theater counts, all that stuff. I've covered that ad nauseum. But when, when, when the movie stopped, when Star Wars stopped, and, and it was still number one on my birthday in 1977, 
uh, again, I, I was I was looking at things like on my birthday for for, for you know given I, I I think I referenced this in an earlier podcast and you go you know what was number one on your birthday what what song it was it was actually on on Facebook it was like what song was number one on your birthday and I and I went on this list and it gave me everything that was number one TV show whatever and I was shocked even though I was there that Star Wars was the number one movie in October of 1977 having seen it on Memorial Day May of 1977 we don't we don't do that anymore you know if a movie repeats the box office as number one as the number one draw it's it's an it's a new story and you know breaking records modern records today blah blah movie you know held on for three straight weeks those days are so long gone because they are you know it's it's thermonuclear warfare every week at the cineplex as your as each studio launches at the other trying to outgross or sometimes blunt the impact of the other in order to maybe or, or and take some of that mojo into their own film it it, it is trust me at the top echelons, this stuff is so competitive. But back in the day, this movie, this movie Star Wars that came out, just smoked everything out. Just ironically, given the history of Star Wars and Smokey the Bandit, um, just completely smoked by everything and became the phenomenon that was Star Wars. But, you know, all the stuff that you've heard about, how, you know, everything associated with it suddenly started blowing up because they didn't plan on it being such a big hit. And all the licensed stuff was a little, had a lag whether it was a couple months, whether it was six months, whether it was like nine months, like the toys I have had, I contain, I, I, I keep my box from that, that, that we bought at the department store that said you'd get these six figures when they come and this box is your, is your claim, you know, is your, basically your proof of purchase. I've talked about how when they did the mail-in for the Boba Fett figure, that that is the, such a rich memory of mine mowing as many lawns, man, I went up in my mowed lawn count in order to get as many proof of purchases so that I could, as many toy action figures so I could get, was it four or five proof of purchases? It may have been as high as six to mail in to get that free Boba Fett figure. And I didn't know anything about Boba Fett other than he looked like a badass and had a cool name. And I've gone on so many times why that is so important for every visual representation of a character. If we don't like the way the character looks and the name, we generally don't elevate them to that level. And the stuff that breaks out has cool names and looks cool. And good God. I mean, if Boba Fett isn't being propped up, I mean, if that legend isn't getting bigger and bigger and bigger, given that now we we are absolutely going into, you know, uh, uh, just this, this, this extended 35 plus years of... Boba Fett and, and, and Mandalorian and Mandalorian armor and all this stuff. Cause we all know what, how big that stuff is. And honestly, I, I miss the star Wars shows the most. I know we're all dining out on Marvel shows, but good God, I need another star Wars show, like a live action. Like I, 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 I get bad batch. I watched all the clone wars. I, I raised my kids on that stuff. But, uh, back then the spinoffs were few and far between. That's why the star Wars comic was so important. And I've done an entire podcast on how star Wars saved Marvel from just drowning in red ink and put them, shot them straight forward into profitability and probably financed some of the comics that we went on to know and love like the X-Men and Frank Miller's Daredevil because Marvel got, the, the ship got righted in that 1977, 1978 period. So Star Wars has great, great um, roots into the comics industry, but it got spun off pretty fast at, at, in regards to the comic books because... And I have to believe, and, and I know it was one of Marvel's either top number one or number two 
bestsellers for the first, especially that period between Star Wars and Empire Strikes Back. And that's really what we're going to get down in the weeds today because those spinoffs and one in particular drove me like nothing I have ever like been driven before. We, we're we're going we're gonna to talk about true nerdgasms and, and what that feels like and, and, what I, and, and what I felt like when I experienced it. Because uh, again, you have to understand, George Lucas made Star Wars, and we're going to circle back to this. This is the most important part of, of this original design. When he made Star Wars, he was making it on the model that 20th Century Fox had established with their Planet of the Apes movies. Now, if you are into the history of the Planet of the Apes, and man, am I ever. I have the making of books, the documentaries, the, you know, all of multiple different DVD series. They've done, they, they have serviced that franchise so well in the last 10 to 15 years, giving us so much great stuff. I have, there was a Planet of the Apes TV series. I watched it. There was a Planet of the Apes cartoons. I consumed it. I own them. I have those box sets. They're always nearby. I love to draw to stuff that I've seen or that I've heard before. So I just pop those in and I'm just, you know, I'm back being a kid. And look, if, if, if ever I have done a nostalgic episode Today is that day, but you're going to see why. And, and we're going to really get into kind of the irony of some of what happened here because George budgeted Star Wars, which again, you guys understand that's like a $12 million movie. And and if you go back and look at the documentaries on the Planet of the Apes movies, I, each sequel, you know, today in today's culture, they generally throw more money at the sequel because they have comps and a worldwide marketplace that says bigger is better. And it makes sense for them to expand and spend more money on a follow-up. Now, in the horror market, maybe they pinch the pennies a little more. Maybe they budget a little tighter. But in the blockbuster world, it is generally the known that you're going to spend more on Die Hard 2 than you did on Die Hard or on you know Avatar 2 than you did on Avatar or fill in the blank, right? They spent more on Captain America, Winter Soldier, than they did on Captain America, First Avenger. They spent more on Iron Man 2 than they did Iron Man. These are recent you know examples. They obviously, for Endgame and Infinity Wars, I mean, you're talking $400 million each movie. That's what they spent. And, 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 and that was announced going into it. And people said, there's no, there's no way. But then you look at it and you go, that, that, that's, that's a lot of money. That's a big cast. There's a ton of special effects and who cares? Cause those movies combined to make 5 billion. What was it? Was it a couple billion each 2.5, 2. I mean, they were absolute monsters, but in the sixties, the way the accountants worked it out was Beneath the Planet of the Apes, Escape from the Planet of the Apes, Conquest of the Planet of the Apes, and Battle for the Planet of the Apes. I want to say that the last one they made for like $4 million. And they would tell you on this, in this um, documentary, The Making of Planet of the Apes, they'd be like, uh, back when they made these about, they made this documentary, this first footage that I saw of it, I watched it in like 1999. I think some of these accountants are dead, okay? So some of these talking heads that were doing interviews back then are long, I mean, they were long in the tooth, when they're giving these interviews. Now they are, most certainly, they are in the earth with dirt on top, okay? Th- these accountants are long gone. And, uh, but they would be like, well, you know, we budgeted. So, uh, th- and they called the rentals, the rentals, that's, they would call, call the money that they got back in, the rentals, the rentals. You know, the rentals from the theaters, the rentals from the th- cinemas. So, so they'd make a movie for $8 million and then be like, this made $15 million. And they'd be like, yeah, we struck gold. And you go back then, we're, we're losing perspective. Made it for eight, made 15, you know, that's, that's a plus, that's a plus seven. Okay. Right. I mean, that, that plus, plus nine. I mean, that, that, that's, that, that, that is a, that is a good, if you made it for eight, 
and it goes on to make 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 7 million more dollars than you budgeted for? Huge. So they're like, so beneath the Planet of the Apes, you know, we made that for 7.2. So, you know, they, they, they shaved off, I, I think, Planet of the Apes, 8.5. Don't quote me on these numbers, but these are ballparks. This is like single digits that then go on to make like double digits. And, and they'd be like dining out because that's big money. Uh, a 7 million profit back then was like, you know, break out the bubbly, get the champagne glasses. We're, we're, we're celebrating 20th Century Fox scored again. And, but, but, but I was shocked because I never, as a kid, as I've told you, these Planet of the Apes movies, they were stripped. And, and what I mean by that is stripped by the day. Stripped means Monday through Friday. Um, they had Go Ape Week after school, ABC, Channel 7, here in Southern California, I would run home. You always miss the first 20 minutes, start at three o'clock, end at five o'clock. There was no afternoon talk shows, Donahue, Oprah, Tamron Hall, none of that stuff existed. It was soap operas and then a movie of the week or a movie, a daily afternoon, you know, cinema. They did. I've said this before. That's how I got to know Bruce Lee and all the Kung Fu films, all the monster films, Godzilla, Destroy All Monsters, The Planet of the Apes Weeks, the, the Halloween, the Horror Weeks, Frankenstein. They had ar- obviously tons of army stuff, tons of cowboy stuff. That was their bread and butter. But twice a year, you did the apes, you did Godzilla, you did all this stuff. And little kids like me who are seven, who are eight, who are nine, that's how I digested it. And boy, did I digest it. But I never saw, again, I'm watching on much smaller screens as well. You got to understand, little Robbie Liefeld, eight, nine years old, is watching maybe a 10-inch, 12-inch screen that is maybe one of them in our house was color and the others were black and white. So I didn't notice the uh, the budget disparity. And I, and I still, going back in time, I, I when I see them now, I just, I don't see them. I, I, I will, now that I know that there's a bunch of like, cheap rubber and some paper ape masks in the very, very, very back of the crowds. I will look for those, but I didn't know about that at the time. I didn't know that's how they concealed and made greater numbers of apes. But this entire make it for eight, make 15, make it for 7.2, you know, and make 13, make, 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 uh, make escape from the planet of the apes for, for 6.6 million. I mean, these accountants on these documentaries are giving you like the decimal points. We made that one for 6.6 and it it ended up doing 10 because they're like, the appeal of these movies is dropping as we make them, but the series is still popular enough so that we can still, um, you know, throw, throw a a very, um, you know, specific amount of money at them in order for us to make money. And again, back then in 1969, 1970, 1971, a plus $5 million on a movie was, was means for celebration. It was, it was a good day, especially given that millions back then meant much more than millions do today. So given the, the cost of, of living and, and, uh, inflation back then, those were very good numbers. That's why they gave you five Planet of the Apes movies, Star Wars, George Lucas with Star Wars, said he was aware of the model that they would, you know, if Star Wars was a hit, um, they'd m- most likely follow it up with a with a tighter budgeted film. And he was definitely banking on Star Wars not being a hit. In all of his inter- interviews, I think it's in Empire of Dreams, which is my favorite documentary covering any sort of um, cinematic uh, uh, blockbuster or or masterpiece or phenomenon of all time, Empire of Dreams. It's now streaming or it was streaming on Disney Plus for a long time. It came with the original six movie box DVD uh, Blu-ray set that Lucasfilm put out before they were purchased by Disney. 
with the three prequels and the original three. And Empire Dreams is this three-hour, just blow your mind. I can I can never watch it enough. I love it. I drink it up. It is phenomenal. But George is very candid in that he's like, well, I, I, I kind of didn't think that this movie was going to do well. So what I did is I gave an outline for the sequel. And that's where we dive into my first nerdgasm. Because in February of 1978, I am skipping in to the Walden Books. That's the bookstore that was in every major mall in Southern California. And I am skipping in to Walden Books and at the front table, and I've talked about this before, that, you know, the new stuff, the stuff that had the, 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 you know, that was meant to glamour you, that was meant to, you know, hypnotize and glamour you was on the front tables. And, uh, and I saw this painting of what was clearly Luke Skywalker and Princess Leia. And they're in the foreground and Luke, his arm is, is behind him. It's the back of them. You were seeing the back of them as, as there's like a boulder on, on Luke's leg. He's like trapped. Leah's positioned like, like she's going to assist him. And he's reaching out of his reaches, just out of his reaches, his lightsaber. And standing on a small pile of rocks, rubble, gravel is Darth Vader. He is in the background, in, in the far middle ground of this painting. It is, it is so brilliant. And, uh, and then you see in the background is this dark forest. And, and, uh, this is a Ralph Macquarie painting. He of the amazing, outstanding, uh, matte paintings, design work, uh, all of the conceptual art that went into the original Star Wars. He does this painting and on it in the Star Wars font, in the Star Wars font, it says Splinter of the Mind's Eye by Alan Dean Foster. I grabbed this. I had to have it. This, um, I, so, so I, I later I'm going to tell you embarrassingly just, just how many of these I have. It's a buck 95. Okay. Buck 95 Delray books. I, I grabbed it up. I had to have it. My, my mom saw the fever that was burning inside of me. There's Luke, there's Leah, there's Darth Vader. This is some sort of continuation like the comic books that I'm, that I'm, that I'm reading, but, but this seems more real. It's in, it's in Walden's books. Even as a kid, I was like, well, comic books are at like the market and they're really my, my bookstores. Walden books wasn't carrying comic books yet. The spinner racks hadn't made their way into there. That would be much more into the mid eighties that the booksellers in the malls were carrying comic books, magazines. They had tons of magazines, but they were dedicated books, science fiction books, romance books, history books, whatever. But this splinter of the mind's eye from the further adventures of Luke Skywalker based on the character situations created by George Lucas. What in the H-E devil hockey sticks am I looking at? I flip the back. I read it. Stranded on a jungle planet, Luke Skywalker and Princess Leia find themselves desperately racing Imperial stormtroopers to claim a gem that has mysterious powers over, and then in giant font, logo red, the Force has mysterious powers over the Force. Luke Skywalker expected trouble when he volunteered to follow Princess Leia on her mission to Sercarpius to enlist their rebel underground in the battle against the Empire. But the farm boy from Tatooine hadn't counted on an unscheduled landing in the swamplands of Mimbon. Mimbon! I just remember reading that going, I already love Mimbon, okay? And, I'm, and then I'm like, I, that, that, that's what's on the cover here. That's these this swampy forest. Mimbon hadn't counted on any of the things they would find on that strange planet. But the farm boy, I'll read it again. The farm boy from Tatooine hadn't counted on an unscheduled landing in the swamplands of Mimbon. 
hadn't counted on any of the things they'd find on that strange planet. Hidden on this planet was the Kyber Crystal, a mysterious gem that would give the one who possessed it such powers over the Force that he would all be that he would be all but invincible. In the wrong hands, the crystal could be deadly. Luke had to find this treasure and find it fast. Accompanied by R2-D2 and C-3PO, his two faithful droids, Luke and the princess set out for the Temple of Pomojima and a confrontation deep beneath the surface of an alien world with the most fearsome villain in the galaxy. A thrilling new space adventure. If you don't think that this bad boy made it home with me, you are whistling Dixie. Um... I 100,000% had to walk out there on a Friday night. It was a Friday night. We always went to the mall on Friday evenings. And I came out with this thing. And by by the second service of church on Sunday afternoon, I was almost done with this. So, little Robbie Liefeld, 1978. You know I love to do this stuff with you guys. I'm 11. I am squarely 11 years old. February of 1978. This bad boy is 200 pages. And I burned through it that weekend. And again... What I learned in church is if you sat really, 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 really far in the back, your grandpa, who's the minister, can't really see. Maybe he thinks you're reading the Bible. Not reading the Bible. Reading Splinter of the Mind's Eye. Read so much sci-fi. <laughs> so much sci-fi absorbed in the back of the church, okay? Because uh, you're as a kid, you figure, I, I've been at Sunday school already. I've been doing church from, from, from 9 o'clock to 11 o'clock. Now I'm doing church from 11 o'clock. 11.15 to 12.30, you know, all the sermons start to sound the same. You've been doing this since you have a memory. So by the time I'm eight, man, I figure I've, I've read through the Bible three times uh, or been through the Bible stories three times. I, I need to devote my time and know what happens with Luke Skywalker and Princess Leia. So this was the intention to be the sequel to Star Wars if Star Wars had been a medium-level hit and Fox would have gone forward with a follow-up. There is no Han Solo. There is no Chewbacca. They are glanced. They, they are passing, passingly mentioned here. Just it's now the cast is trimmed. It's Luke. It's Leah. So you know, Mark Hamill gets another big, big, uh, big showcase. Carrie Fisher. Okay. Then you got the droids and you got Darth Vader. And why is this so important to kids of my age? What did you want the most when you ended watching Star Wars? Okay. I'm going to tell you what you wanted the most. You wanted Luke and Darth to fight. And in the comic books, ironically, I mentioned the Marvel comic books at this time because they had an edict and you knew it. You knew it. And 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 I think I started reading in some Starlog magazines, some sci-fi magazines, and they would only go on to confirm this very fact that Marvel could not have Luke Skywalker and Darth Vader meet. That was contractual with Lucasfilm at the time. Because that wasn't going to happen until Empire Strikes Back and, and they could adapt that and then that would be the time. But they had them playing, playing cat and mouse for three years in the Marvel comics. And Marvel did a great, great job. They, they introduced characters that were intended to, uh, they introduced characters that were intended to interact, uh, to, to basically act as stand-ins for, uh, for, for, for Darth Vader in, in conflict with uh, with 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 Luke Skywalker, um, they, they had they had a character that I grew to absolutely love called Baron Tag, Baron Tag, and he is an Imperial uh, uh, officer who was completely uh, caught up in the ways of the Force himself. He was kind of a 
a force trainee. He was actually the, the head of the galaxy's most renowned industrial complex. And um, he, he, he had kind of um, basically like a, a super rich imperial benefactor who was learning the ways of the force or who dabbled in or who believed that he was advancing himself in the ways of the force. Baron Tag wielded a lightsaber. Um, he was a semi, you know, he thought he was of the level of Luke Skywalker. So you got a bad guy who would wave a lightsaber and he would wave it in the direction of Luke and Leia both, but uh, but not Darth Vader. He was your basic Darth Vader stand-in and we as kids understood it. We understood that Baron Tag was kind of the action bad guy that would have a lightsaber that would um, face off. Look, Archie Goodwin wrote all these stories. Roy Thomas got off to a really bumpy start in the comic books. The original spinoff, which was very, very, very focused on Han Solo. The the so so issue seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, whatever the maybe, or maybe just five issues um, following the original Star Wars adaptation uh, was done by the illustrations were Howard Chaykin and Tom Palmer and Roy Thomas, I believe, drew, wrote it. And it was very much Magnificent Seven, uh, Seven Samurai. Han and Chewie had to gather up a, you know, kind of a, 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 a disparate group of characters that would help defend this territory. And uh, I didn't enjoy it at all because I was a Luke Skywalker guy. My friends were all into Han Solo. I was the only guy to walk out of Star Wars devoting his life to, like, Luke Skywalker. I was obsessed with Mark Hamill. I was obsessed with Luke Skywalker. I was obsessed with Obi-Wan, the Force, the, the Force voice. I'm going to tell you right now, if you happen to watch Star Wars with me, uh, and uh, and we're going to watch the original 1977, and you can count, count down that clock, and when Luke Skywalker is in that trench, and he is closing in on that last shot, that he has got to get those missiles in, in, in into that, you know, exhaust to blow up the Death Star, when when he gets the guidance system and he looks through it and Obi-Wan says, use the force, Luke. <clears throat> use the force. And has him put it away. At that moment that he goes to put it away, he puts the guidance system away, hits the button, it moves away, and, the, and it lines up perfectly with, use the force, Luke. The soundtrack kicks on, kicks up. Oh my gosh. I will choke back tears. I have gotten to the place where I do not cry any longer, but am I beclemmed? Am I emotional? Have I seen it 2,000 times? Does it hit me the same time every time, every single time? Also, the awards ceremony, I'm still not sure I can watch that without crying. I will be 54 years old in, in about a month. It is still a struggle for me to see them get those medals, walk down that to that John Williams score. Bah, 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 the, oh my gosh, when Chewie goes, and everyone turns, oh my gosh. Okay, look, Skywalker, that gold jacket, that gold leather. Oh my gosh, I'm, just, I'm, I'm getting excited talking about it, but most definitely when you use the force, Luke. And oh my gosh, you go. This is the moment Luke saves the galaxy. I was a Luke Skywalker guy. When everybody in my neighborhood, and if we were to round up my buddies Doug, Matt, Mike, and Mondo, the guys that we all played on the street together, we did role playing. Back when we didn't call it role playing, we just said, hey, let's 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 play, let's do adventures. 
I was always like, I got to be Luke Skywalker. <laughs> I would wager everything. I got to be. They all fought over who'd be Han. So bizarre. I get it. Han was the swagger. He was the cool. He, he Princess Leia obviously had the hots for him. Um, he had the gun. I wanted the kid who, who was going to learn to use the lightsaber. I was all about it. And, and you know, sidebar, I won't say which kid. I won't say which one of my boys. But when he was young, one of my boys like looked at us as a family. And I mean, five or six looked around and said, hey, I'm going outside to the backyard and I'm going to play adventures. And uh, none of you come out. And let me interpret that. Let me interpret that. I'm going to go outside and I'm going to imagine that I'm a superhero or I'm going to, and, and none of you MFers interrupt me. Okay. None of you guys, none of you assholes come out and interrupt me. And uh, true story. And, and, and my sister has started to listen to my podcast, I think, to um, know what is being said about her and all, all the wonderful things in the world are being said about my sister. She's so funny and I have great memories of our youth together. But one time, it was during that Planet of the Apes time, we had a tree in my front yard and I would get in the tree and I would, there was a big giant, one giant branch limb that, that I would just completely sit on and, and play. And one time I'm, I'm out there, I'm, I'm having, okay, go back to my kid. He said, I'm going outside to have adventures and none of you, none of you interrupt me. <laughs> I mean, it was so like, if a six-year-old could pierce you with his eyes. And again, I'm not telling you which boy of mine did this. I will leave that. I will conceal their identities. But it brought me back to when I was a kid and I was playing quote unquote adventures. And suddenly I hear this voice that says, who are you talking to? Just who are you talking to anyway? In the most condescending, demeaning, uh, uh, strip you of all your dignity. Again, there's seven years between us. Maybe I'm seven. She's 14. Maybe I'm eight. She's 15. Okay. I remember turning around. I froze. I was so embarrassed. I didn't know somebody heard me talking to myself because I was most definitely acting out characters and talking to myself. And I turned around. And there's my sister. She's leaning in the frame of the front door, arms crossed like, you're, you're the biggest dork. And I was. But dorks don't want to be called out. So when my son said, I'm going outside to play adventures, none of you come outside and interrupt me. Don't bother me. I was like, we're locking it down. We're not giving him that same, just who the heck are you talking to? Scarred me. Scarred me. Deeply scarred me. Just got to know. Sherry, I love you. That happened. It was, it was, it, it is, it is like it was yesterday. So when we had adventures in the neighborhood, I was Luke Skywalker. Okay. You know, 11 years old, 12 years old. I am enacting Luke Skywalker. I'm using the force. He's my guy. So in the comic books, they're having him battle Baron Tag and all these other dudes, but not, not Darth Vader. They had to keep him away from Darth Vader in splinter of the mind's eye. This book, this, I, and I think this thing was a runaway giant success. I mean, multiple printings of this splinter of the mind's eye 200 pages it absolutely ends with vader and 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 luke having a lightsaber battle at the bottom of a pit at the bottom of a pit and i am in church getting to those chapters and i mean my body is jumping out uh, uh, i'm jumping out of my body my, 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 my soul can't be contained i can't believe i am reading in 1978 luke skywalker having a lightsaber battle with Darth freaking Vader. I mean, uh, and, and, and even Leah gets into it. Here, here, listen to this. Here, 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 here's, a, here's a passage from the end. 
Mia, don't! Luke yells to her. It, it, it's a feint. He's daring you. Kill me, then yourself. It's hopeless. Okay. Vader looked over at Luke temp- with contempt, then back at the princess. Go on, he told her. Let him fight for you if you want, but I won't let you kill him. I've been robbed too often. Leah appeared to hesitate, then lunged straight at Vader with the tip of the saber. Simultaneously, the Dark Lord brought his own beam up in a lightning gesture to parry hers. But Leia performed a spinning, twisting arc in the air and brought her saber down in a slashing flare of blue light. Energy flashed as it contacted the Dark Lord's armored breath mask. Only superhuman reflexes enabled him to avoid the full effect of her blow. If there was anyone in the vast chamber more surprised than Vader, it was Luke himself. He fought to free his trapped leg with a slight twinge of hope. Almost, little princess, almost, Vader murmured without anger. I have been guilty of overconfidence before he adjusted his stance. I will not be guilty again. His saber curled in, around, down. She barely managed to defect the blow as he ba- as she backpedaled. Again he advanced, swung. Again she deflected the cut. They dueled on. This is Princess Leia battling Darth Vader in between Star Wars and Empire Strikes Back. Okay, in the temple of Pomojima on the planet Mimbon. And if you don't think I got my little nerd boner, then you don't know what was going through my my mind at that time. Super duper nerd like boner effect. I, I could not believe what I was witnessing and what I was experiencing that I am, I am reading Luke and Leah clashing with each other in, in, in this. In, and and, and again, again, it ends in this pit. And, and so you're like, I just, I just read and visualized perfectly Luke and Leah battling each other. I mean, Luke and Leah battling Vader um, together. And, and in, and in here, they, they hadn't yet, they had yet to establish that they were brother and sister. Okay. Um, very exciting times, very exciting. The beginning of this incredible expansion of the Star Wars universe. The comics were great. Baron Tag dug him. The return to Tatooine thought it was fun. Enjoyed it very much in the comic books. Um, they had a Waterworld episode. They had space pirates. Actually, the first three years, the first three years of the Star Wars expansion in Marvel Comics to me are the most are my favorite because Luke, the, the world really gets further established. When Empire Strikes Back happens, and uh, and yet between Star Wars, A New Hope, and Empire, there was more imagine it was more imaginative. Uh, it was more like Flash Gordon, to be honest. The the, the worlds they encountered, the aliens, the tribes, uh, Marvel was kind of you know flying w- w- without a without a safety net, and 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 they were just uh that they were they were kind of just getting stuff approved by Lucasfilm, who who really was just concerned with, in the comic books, Luke and Vader do not meet until Empire Strikes Back. And then there was all new restrictions after Empire Strikes Back, because then Luke and Vader couldn't meet again. So, so you had Marvel kind of zigging and zagging as far out from the directives that Lucas gave them as, as, they, as possible, because they could not infringe on the, the big cinematic reveals. And so those first three years, uh, the 1977 to 1983 and a half years, is for me the most exciting time. And you know what? Here's the deal. You know, I, I, I am so excited that I lived during that time and I experienced Star Wars in the way that I did. And, and a lot of times I, I, do, I don't want to like take 
that like take pleasure in the ownership that we have, us first adopters. And you guys, I'm speaking to all of you right now, guys and girls who were there in 1977, who saw Star Wars, whose minds were blown, who wanted t-shirts and Slurpee cups and Burger King glasses. And, and, and the, they had, they had like special drinking glasses with different illustrations on them. That stuff was some of the most exciting, um, the, 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 those times, the new reveals, we didn't know what was coming next. Uh, no one knew that there was a Boba Fett figure that was going to, that was going to emerge on the back of a, 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 you know, that you could order in for. No one knew that was coming. That, that, that was exciting times. You, you couldn't see around the corner what was coming. They had really locked it down. There wasn't any level of, uh, press leaks there aren't that there are now. I mean, you, you know, set visits were locked down photos. Maybe, maybe a couple of photos got, got released to, to the science fiction magazines when, when the science fiction magazines, you know, were, were coordinated with, but otherwise you didn't see, you didn't see anything, um, that they did not want you to see that there were no, there were no leaks. Um, but being those first adopters, I gotta be honest, we should take pride in that. We should take pride in ownership. Cause I'm going to tell you, if we didn't respond to Star Wars the way we did, my kids my age, kids who are 8 and 9 and 10, 11, 12, uh, teenagers at that time, if we don't respond like that, we don't get everything that comes. We are absolutely responsible. It tickled us. It moved us. It entertained us. It inspired us. That is ours. That early success of Star Wars, we own that. Every generation that comes after that digs it should thank us the way we thank George because if we don't show up in the numbers that we show up, and, and, and if we don't in support it the way it's supported, how often do you get producers, directors, actors, support my show, we're facing cancellation, get out there, support this at the box office, we need your help. We showed up in droves. Now, kudos to George Lucas for being a wicked wizard, time traveler, whatever he is that he could see that we would be so responsive to this. But that Star Wars success, that is ours. Now, Splinter of the Mind's Eye, I dined out on this, I reread this. Man, Luke Skywalker, Leah, this was George's idea for a follow-up movie. This is the outline he penned because he was banking on the fact that Star Wars, and with good reason, we've all read and heard the stories about his friends made fun of him. Francis Ford Coppola, Martin Scorsese, they were like, what are you doing? You made a kid's film? Like, that's your follow-up to American Graffiti, George? They didn't get it. They didn't understand it. George, the only guy on record that pulled George aside and said, you got a big hit on your hands there with Steven Spielberg, one of his best friends. But his mentor, Francis Ford Coppola, God bless you, Francis. But boy, did he miss the, he absolutely missed the boat. Did not see this uber success coming. And, uh, and, and George brilliantly held on to the licensing, which was, was what, which is how he amassed the fortune to make a sequel that was bigger than the, than, than, than his original Empire Strikes Back. Again, not a huge budget, certainly by those standards either. But but it was more than Star Wars. He he laid out more. He and again, that's his own that's his own money. Empire Strikes Back. The bank almost shut them down because they were going over budget. Bank of America, I believe, is the bank that 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 literally over a weekend said we're shutting you down. Down. George had to scramble. I mean, George opened up a lot of stress by financing it himself. But thank God that he did, and he had the vision. Splinter of the Mind's Eye was, I will only learn this years later through his interviews, through all the ways that he spoke about it, was his, um, his, his, his plan B 
if, if I could get to make a follow-up, the cast will get trimmed. It'll just be Luke and Leah. I'll still have Vader, who's stalking them the entire time they're on this jungle swamp planet. And even there's there's even a woman named Hala, who's like a who's like a a, 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 a Obi Wan, an Obi Wan, uh, you know, uh, stand-in, an old lady with knowledge. Um, I think it's H A L L A. Man, I, I hope I have that right. That's um that that's at least that that's my um that's my uh, Hala. Yeah, that, that 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 that's my memory of it. And, uh, and so, so it's interesting now to this day, I'm like, why haven't they given me an animated splinter of the mind's eye? Come on, get, get, get Tartakovsky or, or, or somebody like, like, like get somebody good. I, and, and, and can we not have a BC computer graphics? I'm getting to the point where I don't know if you guys, I don't, I don't care if it's Toy Story, if it's Pixar, if it's the best stuff out there, if it's Shrek, I, I can't look at it without seeing the wires and, and the computer technology. They've, they've shown me too much. I, 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 that, that stuff is weird looking to me. The CG, I'm, I, I wonder if there is a, a CG cartoon disease or illness because I have it. It, I, it doesn't go down well with me. I, I, can, I can get by in small portions, but a two hour movie now, forget it. I could never go sit through the original Clone War release that I took my kids to that launched the entire, you know, series on Cartoon Network. Give me hand-drawn. Give me some badass, you know, hand-drawn anime, Splinter of the Mind's Eye, adaptation. I deserve it. We deserve it. It is such a fantastic standalone story in a swampland world. It has imperial presence, stormtroopers, battles, monsters, aliens, and Luke and Leah going toe-to-toe with Darth Vader. And I read you that passage. How great is that? How freaking great is that? But anyway, Splinter of the Mind's Eye was the first, it was the first big, giant, licensed um, extension official extension and, and again they don't give that to the comic books because again comic books had a kid notation it is the it is the first um uh uh you know it is it acts as a sequel to a new hope and and based on george's outline alan dean foster wrote this novel and it is the first installment of what came to be the star wars expanded universe i know they flushed a lot of that stuff down the toilet later on following that Han Solo got a trilogy of book Han Solo at Star's End um I bought all those books too I it, it didn't matter that I didn't love Han Solo and that I like Luke more I took anything I took anything Star Wars I read it all I have so many Star Wars coffee table books I could literally build multiple coffee tables that old joke like you have so many coffee table books you could build a coffee table I think then Seinfeld did a whole thing on that I have a coffee table book of coffee table books I'm Look, I could build furniture with all the Star Wars. If they put it out as a coffee table book, I'm, it's in. I'm, I've got it. Art of this, art of this, glossary of aliens. Um, I've got it all. I'm sure you do too. Um, you guys, Star Wars, 1977 and 1978, those initial spinoffs um, were, it was so, the stuff was so rare. It was so hard to come by. It was so valued. It was nowhere. I mean, again, you, you're, the, the, the action figures were staggered. I mean, we clamored over lunchboxes. We clamored over Slurpee cups, um, posters, calendars, the soundtrack by John Williams. We consumed all of it. And, and this is the beginning of an extended Star Wars series that I'm going to stick to that, uh, that shares with all of you guys just the expansion. And, and look, we, um, I'm going to get more into uh, the, the brilliant books by, by Mr. Uh, J.W. Rinsler, who has since passed away, he passed away this summer. 
he did, not only did he, interesting, I, I tied the Planet of the Apes stuff together. He did an extensive making of Star Wars, making of Empire Strikes Back, making of Return of the Jedi. They are the quintessential, behind-the-scenes, annotated, detailed, amazing, giant coffee table books. They're magnificent. We're going to go through some of those. We're going to do a Star Wars series. I wanted to start today with Splinter of the Mind's Eye, this amazing expansion. He also, Winsler also, Rinsler, J.W. Rinsler also did the making of Planet of the Apes. We don't do enough sci-fi here. I, I, I dwell a, a ton on superheroes, but so much of my childhood was fantasy, like I recently talked about with ElfQuest or Conan or Cull or Beastmaster and Star Wars. Star Wars was the big was, was bigger than life. Star Wars, which which had a Marvel Comics association because of the comic books, but otherwise was its own big giant thing and ruled the roost as, in regards to action figures and, and toys and licensing and just took an entire generation. And again, we own that. We are the reason that generations that followed have been into in the way they are into Star Wars because we showed up, we voted with our tickets, we went back again and again and again and again. It was the candy that we liked. And uh, what a blast. What a blast reliving this. Splinter of the Mind's Eye. So to, to wrap this up, a couple years ago, I didn't know there was a hardcover. Maybe it's a first edition. I didn't know I'd be paying $300 for these things. I had the paperback, okay? I am at Mr. Robert Kirkman. He of The Walking Dead. He of Invincible. He of Oblivion Song. Of Firepower. Genius Robert Kirkman. One of my good buddies. I go and visit him at his studio that he shares with Corey Walker, who uh, does a bunch of the animation uh, character design for the animated shows and was the guy that launched Invincible with Robert. He was the original artist, uh, co-creator of Invincible. And I see this, this hardcover with a, with a, with a dust jacket on it. And I'm like, where'd that come from? And he's like, I got that, you know, on eBay. That's the original. I didn't know this. I got back that day and it took me weeks to find one. These were not stuff that showed up on eBay. The other day, a buddy told me like, they're, are they like 600 bucks now? I, I bought mine like almost a decade ago when I saw it in Robert's office and, and it didn't start there. I bought a couple of them. I, I, I'm going to show in the news and notes of this show, you're going to look, you're going to see, I'm going to show you just in my house, all the editions of, of Splinter of the Mind's Eye that I have. Because when I tell you that I'm obsessed with this particular story, this particular novel, I am not kidding you. I kid you not. This was a seminal part of my nerd boner uh, back at the church reading Splinter of the Mind's Eye, reading Leah and Luke facing off with Darth Vader uh, at the second service, whatever Sunday in 1978, okay? That's what, because I'm, because come on, I'm 11. This is what I'm doing. This is what I'm doing when I'm 11. So uh, this is the part of the show where we read your wonderful and generous, way too generous, reviews. And I am so, um, I'm just so excited that you guys are as interested as you seem in this show, and, I, and I'm, I'm excited that you guys take time to, to show up, and, and, and you guys are, uh, are always present with me, and uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to read right now from Big Black Steve. Big Black Steve, okay? He has said that this, the real untold story of comics, I think I've read this before, but I'm going to read this again. 
I found this podcast from a recommendation from the Geek History Lesson Pod. I did read this. It's worth reading again. The podcast is like Moneyball meets the last dance of comic book history. I highly recommend this podcast. Thank you, Rob, for motivating me to start drawing again. So there you go. I read yours twice. His name, he signs it, Big Black Steve. Um, the, uh, the, uh, um, this one is, uh, very simple. It's by Hip Geek Toys. Rob's enthusiasm, candidness, knowledge of the industry, genuine personality makes this one of my must-listen podcasts. The takeaways from each episode keep me excited for the next Rob You Rule. And the title of this is Rob Rules. Thank you, Hip Geek Toys. Thank you so much for sharing that review. You guys, I read your reviews at the end of every show. Thank you for leaving them. We, we need them. We need um, your validation. We need your support. And, and it comes in the way of these reviews and the five stars and the subscriptions and the word of mouth that you guys are so good to share. Thank you so much. I am all over social media. I'm on Twitter. I am at Rob Liefeld on Twitter. I am at Robert Liefeld. No, woo, man, I'm today. Woo. I am at Robert Liefeld on Twitter. R-O-B-E-R-T-L-I-E-F-E-L-D. I had to get the full name because someone's squatting on Rob Liefeld. The blue check tells you it's really me. On Instagram, I am at Rob Liefeld. I got my main moniker, Rob Liefeld. Another blue check, that's really me. I love reading you guys in the comments and the mentions. I love talking to you guys. I am all over Facebook. I am all over social media. Please never hesitate to chat with me, talk with me. Um, and and uh, if, if you insult me, you'll be gone. I'll, fair warning, I don't, I just immediately mute you and you disappear in my life. But the fun talk, I'm always up for the fun talk. I love you guys. Thanks for being a geek, for being a nerd like me and loving this stuff and loving on it and spread the word. Thank you. I cannot thank you enough. Here's the deal. You are going to take care of yourself. You're going to stay safe and we are going to talk again real soon. (laughs) 